Uh, just have a look uh, at these people, um, and I wonder what you think of them. Now, if you don't know who they are, uh, let me tell you. You've got Mother Teresa, who was called the Saint of Gutters because of her widespread, widespread charity and work amongst the poor around the world. Um, the Saint of Gutters. And then you've got um, Mark Zuckerberg, who uh, started Facebook, if you know what Facebook is. Um, and as a, as a result, he's a multi-billionaire, kind of um, but some of which he likes to use for good causes. So not long ago, he donated $100 uh, million to kind of save some failing schools in America. Um, and then recently, he's pledged $3 billion for an initiative to, to try and kind of prevent or manage all diseases um, before uh, a certain date, I think. Uh, and then uh, you've got Muhammad Ali, um, who, uh, apart from his kind of outspoken personality and his incredible boxing career, he would, uh, what he would do he, is, is he would travel to various uh, countries to help people in need. And uh, he was chosen to be a UN messenger of peace because of his work in developing nations. And at his funeral, one actor said, uh, you've inspired us to be the best versions of ourselves. You've inspired us to be the best versions of ourselves. Now, I don't know what you think of these people. Uh, I guess you would describe these people not only as good, but as great people. And in one sense, that is true. That, that is true. They, they've done some really good things and great things. But what if I told you that actually all, of they've, all that they've done is simply not enough? You know, Muhammad Ali, yes, you, you inspired us to be better versions of ourselves, but do you know what? That's just not good enough. It's not good enough for... Jesus. See, these people, in and of themselves, on their own, by their works, they, they cannot have eternal life with Jesus. They cannot enter the kingdom of God. And if these people can't, with all their charitable work, then on their own, neither can we. Now, I don't know how you feel right now. Uh, I, I guess most of the time, we are commonly good people, aren't we? So, uh, like most others, we're, we're, we're decent people. We've not done much wrong. Uh, we don't you know, go out to hurt anybody. And I guess there are times, actually, where, if you're a Christian here, we feel like good Christians. You know, we love our families. We have our neighbours round. We might try and tell them the gospel. We come to church. We invite someone to church, and they come. Uh, we read our Bibles, we, we, we sacrifice to, to plant a church. Uh, you know, we serve here in ways that perhaps we never thought we would or could, and at these times we can feel like we're really kind of good Christians. You know, of course I, of course I deserve eternal life, is uh, perhaps what we think. Or, or what would Jesus do without me? We can feel like uh, we're good enough, hi. Um, 
But we're not. We're simply not. And the question is, why? Why on our own can we not enter the kingdom of God? Well, we saw the answer. The answer's there, what we saw last week, chapter 10, verse 15. So if you weren't here last week, don't worry. What we saw was the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders of the day, and they came to Jesus and they're trying to kind of exert their authority over him. And then in stark contrast, you see some children coming to Jesus. And Jesus says, look, the kingdom of God belongs to these. It belongs to the children, people, not not even just literal children, but people who come as children, like children. You see there, verse 15, chapter 10, verse 15, you see what he says. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You see, the kingdom of God is not something to be earned. It's not something that we get based on our merit or our status or how well we're known or how much we've done. The kingdom of God is something that is to be received. It says that that's what it says there, verse 15. Whoever, whoever not will receive the kingdom. You see, it is a gift. And so it needs to be received in that way, just like children would receive it. You know, think about it. So if I was to, um, this afternoon, if I was to go and stand outside Morrison's and try and hand out... You might disagree with me on this. If I had to try to hand out £20 notes, some adults might be reluctant to take it. Uh, okay? they, I, I have a feeling they'd say, what, well, what's the catch? What, what do I need to do? What, what do I need to do for your £20? Or they might just refuse it and say, no, look, I'm not a charity case. I don't, I don't want your £20. But if you hand that to a child, uh, they would swipe it out of your hands before uh, you, you, you could even offer it to them. You know? Um, that, that, that's the idea. They would accept it as a gift, wouldn't they? Um, that's what children do. And so the kingdom of God needs to be received in the same way, just like that. Now you may think at this point, well, if the kingdom of God, if, if life with God for eternity is a gift, then yeah, I'll, I'll take it. You know, you, you might be thinking, why doesn't everybody take it? Surely you'd be foolish not to. But the reality is, that not everybody does. Yeah, in fact, this morning's passage is all about a man who, who wants eternal life, but who goes away without it. And as we watch him, we find out why that is. And we realise that actually entering the kingdom of God is not about just trying to be like a child. Actually, it's all about what you think of Jesus. There are three things uh, for us to see this morning. Firstly, uh, it's the the man I've mentioned. Uh, uh, There is a man who won't receive. A man who won't receive. This is clear from the off. The the man, he, he comes to Jesus. Have a look what he says in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? See, this man 
thinks that he must do something to get eternal life. So, you see, he is like the guy in the street, uh, the guy outside Morrison's, who says, yeah, I'll take your £20 note, just tell me what I need to do. Or, change the picture slightly, just to kind of, uh, just to make you see, or help us to see how odd this is. It's a bit like Christmas Day, you know, where you've been to church and the children are kind of wolfed down their uh, Christmas lunch. I'm thinking of small children here. Wolfed down their Christmas lunch because they're excited about presents and you kind of, you know, you you plough into the the living room uh, to open presents. And this guy is a bit like the child who gets in there, he kind of tears open his presents, then he turns around to his parents and says, how much do I owe you? You know, he's saying, what do I do for this? You know, he's not receiving it. He doesn't want to receive it as a gift. Now, he does that because he thinks he's able. Did you notice? Uh, He he, he thinks uh, that, that, that man is good and therefore able. Okay, did you notice how he called Jesus good teacher? Okay, so he thinks Jesus is a man and he thinks that he is a man who is good. And that's not quite right. So rather than answering the man's question, Jesus questions his view of man. Do you see there verse 18? Have a look at verse 18. He says, what? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. No one is good. You're not good. I'm not good. By Jesus' definition. Now that's a challenge to us, isn't it? Because this world has what we see as good people. Like Mother Teresa. Like you and me. So we don't go around harming people, causing trouble. In contrast, we're capable of doing good things and we do them. And that includes this man. Jesus says to him, verse 19... Uh, you, you know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. He lists six of the ten commandments that were given to God's Old Testament people. These were the way that they were supposed to live and these six specifically talk about how you treat other people. And the man says in verse 20, I, I've kept these, I've done this. Now look, that's probably true. You know, th- this man has probably kept these. In, in, in that sense, he, he's a decent guy. He is outwardly a good and decent person. He treats others well. And that's exactly why he thinks he can then do something to get eternal life. But it's not enough. Yet, as we said, it's not about what this man can do. It's about whether he is willing to receive the kingdom as a gift. And so, what does Jesus do? He offers it to him. Have a look at verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. You see, Jesus offers Himself, come follow me. That's how the kingdom comes to us. It comes through this king. Now, we see here it comes at a cost. See, what Jesus knew about this man is that even though he looked like a decent guy who had kept some of God's law, actually he lived for his wealth. 
That was his God. And Jesus says, look, I will be your God. Okay? Uh, follow me, I will give you treasure in heaven, but I must be your only God. Money and wealth, that's not a bad thing in and of itself, but you must give up living for that if I'm going to be your God. Now, look, that doesn't make the kingdom any less of a gift. So here's, here's, a, here's a kind of a, a picture of what's going on here. Is if you go back to the kind of the scene in the in the in the uh, in the living room at Christmas time, what's going on is that is like you've got the kid around the room playing with some toys, playing with some little presents around the room, and, and completely engrossed in them. The child is utterly, you know, loving these toys until somebody plonks this whacking great big gift in the most amazing gift you'd ever want in the middle of the room. It's like you know, gift like treasure in heaven and the child sees it and leaves everything around the side of the room to receive this most amazing gift you see that's what Jesus is saying to this guy leave that stuff come and have the best gift you can have Jesus offers it to him but he's a man who won't receive it and so he doesn't leave that stuff. He doesn't leave his wealth. Verse 22. Uh, verse 22. This man, uh, this, the man's face fell. He, he went away sad because he had great wealth. See, he's a man who does not receive eternal life. He won't receive the kingdom. Now, what does that tell us about this man? It tells us that despite all good appearances despite his view of himself, actually he's totally sinful. Because he rejects a relationship with Jesus. See, that's what sin is. Sin is not, you know, so often we think, oh, we've done something bad, that's sin. No, that is not simply sin. Yes, it's that, but it includes sin is the good things we do that makes us think we're okay on our own. You know, the, the, the good things we do instead of living for Jesus. The things we live for instead of him. Now all of us naturally live for something. And in this culture, in this place, it may well be our money. You know, I, I think so. You look around Camborne and, and Papworth, it's so easy to think, isn't it? Well, we ha never have enough uh, and we always want more. Um, it may well be that you live for your wealth. Or perhaps it's living for those things that money offers. So, security, uh, status, success, comfort. You, whatever it is, that the question for us at this point this morning is, look, have we given up those good gifts to live for the greatest gift? Now, it doesn't mean you have to sell it. It doesn't mean, don't, please don't go home and just sell your house. You don't, that's not what he's talking about. It's a question of whether Jesus is most important over and above everything else you have. Have we received him? Now, if we're a Christian this morning, you know, 
do we see Jesus in this way? Or, or, or do you actually just by coming here, do you think you're good enough? And so you're just happy living for those other things. You don't, you don't need Jesus. Can I say that if he is not the greatest gift in our life, then we not only think that we're good enough, we not only think more of ourselves, too much of ourselves, but we think too little of him. You know, for us, he then just becomes a good teacher who we go to for advice now and again. And the thing is, Jesus is so much more than that. So much more. He's not a good teacher, he's a saviour. And this is the second thing we see this morning, that Jesus is, is the saviour that we all need. He's the saviour that we all need. So uh, this man, he, he walks away, and Jesus then turns to his disciples, the, the guys who've been following him, and he comments on what's just happened. You see there in verse 23, uh, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Now, again, what Jesus is saying here is not that wealth and riches are really evil. Uh, okay, that somehow rich people are bad and poor people are good. It, it, it's not that, that only poor people will enter the kingdom of God and the, and the wealthy have to sell everything to enter. Now, what Jesus means is, look, wealth particularly blinds us. But that's what we see with this man, isn't it? That, that Jesus offers himself, there's the whacking great big gift in the middle of the room, he offers treasure in heaven and yet the man won't receive it because of his wealth, because he's so happy playing with all, all the other stuff. He can't see it. He can't see that that's greater. Yeah, he thinks he's okay because he's got his wealth. It provides security that seems so hard for us to give up. And so wealth particularly takes hold of us. You know, when we have everything materially, we, we simply think we have everything we need. Uh, really interesting, wasn't it, last week? I, I, I don't know if you were here last week, um, but uh, there's a chap called Nathan who, um, who uh, is a member here, and he was talking about his trip to Zimbabwe. Uh, and at one point he said, um, you know, the people there, they have nothing. They're so poor, and yet they, they trust in God. And I guess here, the opposite is true, isn't it? That so many people in today's society have so much, that they actually, they don't see their need of God. Now, wealth blinds us, so it's difficult for us to enter the kingdom, to receive Jesus. And Jesus illustrates for us just how difficult it is. Have a look at verse 25. Uh, verse 25, he says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is, uh, who is, is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the, the, people interpret this in different ways. I, just think he's, I, th I think he's talking about what he says. I think you've got a real... He's, he's saying, look, take a real camel, try and stuff it through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. You, 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 can't, you, you can't do that. Now, his disciples are amazed at this. You know, because this guy here was a good guy. 
And there was this popular Jewish view that said, actually, wealth was a sign of God's blessing. So if it's impossible for him to enter, they ask the question in verse 26, well, then who can be saved? And we see Jesus' response in verse 27. Just have a look down there. Jesus looked at them and said, with this, uh, sorry, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. See, the only way we can receive the kingdom is if God makes a way. If God gives himself to us. And that's exactly why he sent Jesus. Jesus is God himself. He's the king who brought God's kingdom. And he's the only one who ever lived perfectly, who had no other gods in his life but lived for God. He lived the life that actually all of us should have lived. And then as we'll see next week, he he went to die on a cross to take your punishment that you deserve. And then by his spirit, he's the one who opens our eyes, opens the eyes of our hearts to see that he is the greatest gift. So that we go to him, we know God. See, it's only ever possible to, to receive eternal life through him and so you see he's not a good teacher if it's only possible with him he's the saviour that you need that all of us need he's not just a, a, a good gift a, a, a nice gift to have again you know imagine imagine that kind of scene on, on Christmas day uh, imagine you know that that child just imagine this, you know, as, as, as horrible this is, that that child is not actually eating Christmas dinner because the family is so poor that they can't afford to eat. And, and, and the child is, is not so much playing with other stuff in the, in the corner, he's starving in the corner, fading away and dying. And the gift that is put in the middle of the room is not just some nice bike or a pack of Lego or whatever you want it to be. It is the food that the child needs to survive. Desperately needs to live. That's the gift. That's the gift that he gives us. That's the kind of gift that Jesus is. We need him. We desperately need him. And the question is, do we, do we see that? You know, has, or, or has the wealth around us blinded us? Because the wealth around us is not what you need. Yeah. It's not what you need for life. It will kill you. Yes, it's nice and comfortable, but it will kill you. Jesus is the saviour that you need, and only life is found in him. And you see, only as we see him as our saviour, only as we really see that, will we then receive the kingdom of God. Will we leave everything else and we will receive him? This is the final thing we see this morning, last thing we see. Disciples who leave and receive. Disciples who leave and receive. <clears throat> so, Jesus' claim, you know, he's just said, look, it's only possible with God. Effectively, it's only possible with me, Jesus. And Peter speaks up in verse 28. He says, we've left everything to follow you. Now, disciples have done that. If you remember, Jesus called them to come and follow him. And unlike the rich man... These people, they left their jobs and they left their families 
to follow Jesus as their king. Now, having heard that it's only possible with God, that actually they can do nothing, there's a part of his question that's asking, well, why did we then do that? Is that really worthwhile? But they still quite, don't quite understand everything that's going on. We've just read that, that, that Jesus is the only way. And so what Jesus does is he reassures Peter that they have done exactly the right thing. As, as they leave everything for Jesus, that they put him first, they are the ones who will receive the gift. They were the ones who receive everything. Have a look at verse 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. You see, they leave They've left, they leave, and they receive the kingdom. A hundred times what they've left. Now, that doesn't mean, if, if you've done that this morning, if you're following Jesus and he's the most important thing in your life, that doesn't mean that suddenly huge houses and a bunch of property will just fall into your lap. That's, that's not what this is saying. What it means is that you belong to a kingdom. You belong to a community where everybody is related like family and where possessions are shared as if they are your own. And we see this, don't we? I, I really hope, if you're a member here at Christchurch Camborne, I really hope this is your experience. It's, cer- it's certainly mine. That, that this is a family that, that gives so much more than anything we've left behind for Christ. Yes, there are persecutions. Jesus is real and and promises that. But even they are considered a blessing compared to being blinded by living for your own wealth. Ultimately, they'll end, won't they? You know, as we, we enter eternal life and there's no more suffering or pain or mourning. You know, we've already said this morning this gift is an, is an amazing one a hundred times better a hundred times more than the little things that we're playing with around the room that's what you receive when you leave those things now just, just to give you an example of this David Livingstone you, you may not have heard of him David Livingstone was a man who lived in the 1800s uh, and he gave his life to serve uh, Christ in Africa in fact it was the exploration of Africa no, no one had kind of been there and he was going there to see whether he could make an an entry point for the gospel and he left here he left the common conveniences and the comforts of this country for a life of anxiety and sufferings and danger and sickness and at one point he kind of came back and he, he you know some students from Cambridge asked him it's just like why did you do that why why are you giving up the securities and the benefits of this country for that. And do you know what he said? He said, I never made a sacrifice. I never made a sacrifice. Because you see, for him, for him, living for Jesus, whatever the cost, 
was nothing but gain. I never made a sacrifice. Now look, we don't need to leave this country. We don't need to go to Africa to have that experience. Just follow Christ. You know, wh- whatever you do, wherever you are, whatever, whatever you're doing, just follow him and you will know that he is worth following. You will gain so much more. And we will only do that as we see him as the saviour that we need. Only then will we go to him. Only then will we receive, leave everything else and receive a hundred times more. And we'll do that even as we sacrifice. I guess one of the challenges for us here at Christchurch is that even through our sacrifices, we can begin to think that we're good enough. You know? So, so we, we, we sacrifice a lot and we begin to think, actually, this, I'm doing something here. There's part of that in Peter's question. I, surely, surely I'm good enough for Jesus. But you see, only as you keep your eyes fixed on him as your saviour, you still need him. Do you ever consider it a privilege to follow him and a blessing beyond compare? Let's pray together.